guys, welcome to Politics Weekly. I am here this week with a very, very special guest. This is my uh, my first podcast. I'm All here right. with the uh, the Global Agenda. I'm Rayson with Political Bomb. So, so I'm here now with Omar Yacobi. Uh, hello there. Hi. Incredible Hulk. The refounding father. Uh, my uncle, Craig Robbins. The Democratic candidate for governor of Kansas, Jack Bergeson. Primarily conservative. I'm a libertarian. Now, you identify as a progressive, correct? Yes, I would say that. Welcome to a special 10th episode of Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a podcast about politics, news, and principles. This week, a returning guest joins me to discuss the life of Republican Arizona Senator and 2008 GOP presidential nominee John McCain, an update on the Kavanaugh hearings, and more. unfortunate fact that might have gotten lost in that exchange is that children are being are being separated from their parents exactly yeah Yeah. that's the key right i think yeah you know the democrats have to are big tents they have to be big tents if we did not have the constitution i don't even wouldn't even say it's alleged she committed a crime Hey! Hello. Hey, okay, so this week, uh, welcome to Politics Weekly. This is the special 10th episode, and I'm here with a recurring, a returning guest. He was on the first episode. He was uh, on, for a couple weeks, he was on, you know, quite a few episodes. Um, He was also in the Debate Central abortion episode. Uh, He's a been a very big, uh, big guest, uh, but he hasn't been on in a while, so we have him back. Omar Yacobi. Hello. So it is, uh, it's pretty crazy to think that uh, we got to 10 episodes, but uh, yeah. So um, let's talk about um, uh, we uh, some of the news stories uh, that we have this week. Now, 
believe it or not, there actually weren't a lot of news stories, or not as many news stories. There are a decent amount of news stories, but there aren't there weren't as many as there typically were. Yeah. Um, but uh, we still have some spicy some spicy news to get through. So um, let's start with uh, the before I get to the news that everybody's probably heard about. Before we get to that, we have a different news story about the Democrats. So, uh, one thing um, uh, that many progressives were upset with the Democratic Party about, and I'm I'm sure Omar can probably attest to this, because uh, Omar was he supported Bernie and then supported Hillary pretty adamantly, uh, was the super delegate system. Um, well, uh, uh, and the superdelegate system essentially, um, uh, a lot, um, it gave a lot more. It gave a lot more power to bigger people in the party. Um, uh, but right now, um, uh, it's looking like uh, the Democratic Party is moving away. From superdelegates, uh, they're saying that the superdelegates uh, will get uh, fewer powers um, in, or will get reduced power in the 2020 presidential election. This was this had again, this was uh, a system that had a lot of backlash. Um, uh, but apparently the D, there was a DNC panel which overwhelmingly approved uh, the move earlier this summer to reduce the powers. Um, uh, apparently, it was uh, supported by uh, Tom Perez, the chair of the DNC, um, and uh, Vice Chair Michael Blake. Vice Chair Michael Blake had this to say in an interview He's, uh, on Friday, or last Friday. He says... Voters want us to be listening uh, to be listening to them, and this is a way to show them that we're listening, to show them that we're understanding the change that had to be made after 2016. Um, so, Omar, what are your thoughts on the Democrats uh, reducing the super major, uh, the super delegates? Uh, I, I think it's a good step forward. Uh, I saw that one of my Bernie supporting friends who did not support Hillary was um, a little bit skeptical, but pleased with the move. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that the super delegate power will be greatly reduced. Yes, that's what they're saying. I'm it's so- not going away, but it's going to be very, very, a lot smaller. You like, you won't have as much power because before this, you could literally have a scenario where the super delegates could make up all the all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I read somewhere. I could be wrong, but I think a friend that I knew that was progressive told me that part of the reason Obama managed to defeat Hillary. And I don't know if this is true or not, but he was saying part of the reason Obama managed to beat Hillary in the 2008 primaries had to do with the superdelegates. I don't know if there's any truth to that or not, but the superdelegates still have a lot of power. Yeah. I remember hearing that about Obama and I think it made me go back and look at the actual vote results and I, I think among regular delegates, Obama was still ahead. So I'm, I, I think that was a rumor that got started. Yeah. Uh, it's possible there's some truth to it because I, I don't remember exactly what I found when I Googled. But uh, yeah, anyway. well, I, know the, 
I know the first Super Tuesday of 2008, Hillary Clinton did really, really well over Obama, and yet yeah. we still ended up. So maybe, but I don't know. I think he caught up is what happened because uh, yeah. I the, there were some I think especially African American heavy states that weren't part of Super Tuesday, if I'm remembering. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was so long ago. I don't know. Um, anyway, yeah. I, I, what will be interesting, I think, to see is what this reduced power exactly entails. Um, yes. How much weight the the superdelegates will still have? Uh, I didn't see a lot of specifics in the articles I read. Uh, probably because it gets into party process and who wants to read about process, right? But we're going to want to know about it when that time comes. <laughs> yeah, that was what I was about to say. Is how much? Just how much power? Are they taking away from the superdelegates? I mean, are they just saying, oh, we're going to take away the power and they're going to take away some power, but it's not at maybe as much privilege or as much weight. And or maybe they're just doing it to to please the the grassroots movement of the Democratic Party. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's very possible it's a symbolic move. I, I read a quote from Donna Brazil saying that it's about taking away the superdelegates' uh, voice in the first round of balloting. Yeah. And it, if it's just the first round where they're silent and then they can come in later, uh, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. So. Because I saw a lot of people like Tulsi Gabbard, the representative Democrat from Hawaii, who's a representative, like her and other people that were saying were saying like completely about we're at we're like calling on the DNC to completely abolish superdelegates. So the fact that they're saying, oh, well, we'll, 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 we'll greatly reduce it. Maybe, you know, maybe kind of entails that maybe they're not they're still going to have a decent amount of power. It's just not going to be quite as much as it was before. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like a, a cigarette addict who can't quit cold turkey. You know, this is kind of like the nicotine patch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, to be fair to Democrats, I mean, uh, our, our primary voters, uh, at least from what I read and what I've heard, this may not be completely true, but I, I think the conventional wisdom is that uh, primary voters are much more activist and engaged and also therefore further to the left of the average American voter. Uh, again, I, I don't know how true that is, but I think that's the reasoning behind why they want to have some override leverage somewhere. You know, yeah. They, they don't end up with, uh, the, I think the history of superdelegates involves a, a candidate called George McGovern, uh, who was extremely popular with the Democratic base, but then lost something like 48 out of 50 states or some ridiculous number like that. Uh, so they, they don't want that to happen again. <laughs> oh, you know who I think it, it might have been? I don't think it was George Wallace was the racist governor from Alabama. I think you're thinking of uh, Hubert Humphrey. Are you thinking of him? No, George McGovern was an activist who was against the Vietnam War. Oh, no, no, no. That's not McGovern. That was um, McCarthy, I think. No. Oh, you're oh, sorry. You are. You're right. It is George McGovern. I you're you know, I was thinking of I was thinking of George Wallace. Yeah, that was a different guy. That he wasn't. I don't. Think I know you're. Yeah, George McGovern. He was the nominee in 1972. Um, and uh, what happened? Yeah, because that year, because four years earlier, there was uh, a guy named McCarthy, who was a senator from Minnesota, and he was running. Um, and he was almost. He was like very much like the Bernie Sanders of his time. 
he had like this big grassroots movement and he was popular with a lot of like younger people because he wanted to end the, the Vietnam War. Again, it was very much like the, the Bernie Sanders or the Ron Paul of his time. And he eventually uh, lost to Hubert Humphrey. And a lot of people thought the, the vote was rigged um, because, you know, Hubert Humphrey got in very late into the game when there was virtually no ch- chance of him winning because um, because he got he was the vice president. So he so he pretty much was the establishment figure. And so but um, I don't think it had to do with superdelegates, but it had to do with um he was able to get delegates that lived in states where there were no primaries. He was able to get like delegates from them. And that was enough to outnumber all the other delegates. Um, Mm. And I'm not sure if Robert F. Kennedy's delegates might've gone to him after his assassination, but I'm not sure. Um, But because Robert F. Kennedy was narrowly in the lead with uh, McCarthy. It was mainly neck and neck for them until Humphrey got in. But that really infuriated a lot of the Democratic base, and that's what led to the infamous uh, 1968 convention riots in mm-hmm. Chicago at the, at the Democratic National Convention that year. And at that point, Chicago was a common place for the Democratic National Convention to be held. But then I think after that, there was only since, – since that election, they've only had the convention in Chicago one time. And that was in 1996 for Bill Clinton's reelection. But then what happened was four years after that, the grassroots movement was very much able to, you know, kind of rise up, which is why they went with uh, George McGovern, who more so represented his ideas, mm-hmm. McCarthy's ideas. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. And I'm reading this this article uh, right now. Again, article from NPR. And apparently what they're saying is some superdelegates are not happy about this move. They're saying uh, Bob Mulholland, a superdelegate from California, told Politico uh, we're up against a wall and that he also says, quote, we're going to fight like hell. And then apparently Cedric, uh, Representative Cedric, Cedric Richmond, Democrat from Louisiana, who's the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus, um, apparently said, this would, quote, disenfranchise elected officials for no substantive uh, reason and would create more unnecessary competition between those elected and their constituents. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, sorry, I, did, I didn't hear the last bit of that quote because I, I was just thinking about, uh, you know, how difficult it must be for these people in power uh, to be robbed of their voices, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like, oh, you poor, you poor babies. It's, Poor yeah, thing. It's not like they, they don't have these months before the convention to state their case and, and try to make their case to the voter. Yeah, I know, right? My, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, so, yeah, it, sorry, but uh, yeah, so the representative, Representative Cedric Richmond, he is a Democrat from Louisiana. He's the chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus. He made a, an argument saying the proposal would, quote, disenfranchise elected officials for no substantive reason and would create unnecessary competition between those elected and their constituents. Wow. Yeah. And that, that last part of the quote is uh, making my head hurt a little bit. Cause I, I'm like, <laughs> wouldn't you want that kind of, uh, you know, vigorous exchange and, and debate in a democracy, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. 
Participating competition is a bad thing uh, in, in the American system. Um, so I, I just, I feel like someone who says something like that just isn't aware of our history. And uh, I, I'm just trying to think of where he's coming from with that and what he hopes to accomplish. Cause I, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't comprehend it. <laughs> I, think, I think he's coming from the perspective of, oh no, if this happens, my favorite candidate might not win the, 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 the primary. I think that's where he's coming from. Right. He should just say that. And I, I think that's part of why there's a lot of disaffected voters out there is that you get this finely crafted uh, bullshit, for lack of yeah. a better uh, to, to, to say, you know, what what I think he really meant. Uh, so I, I, I think politicians just need to learn to be more direct with voters. I, I've talked with lots of conservatives over the years, and I, I think what they respect more than any policy position is just, are you being honest? Yeah. Can you be straightforward with us and, and tell us the deal we're going to get? Uh, yeah. So important, especially if your government or sorry, if your party is advocating a larger role for government in people's lives, they need to know that they can trust the system. And I, I think that's why someone like Bernie was so popular is because he was a very direct candidate. He said, yes, we're going to raise taxes and here's how, you know, and yeah. straightforward about it. Yeah. Well, and then also, I think data, he, he doesn't I think he doesn't want to end up with a Bernie with either Bernie Sanders or a Bernie Sanders type candidate. I think he wants I think he's hoping he gets another establishment guy. He hopes he gets like, let's say, uh, like a Cory Booker or a Kirsten Gillibrand or something like that. I mean, those are two, uh, I, I think, fine politicians. I don't know if I'd call them completely establishment. They, I guess they might be more uh, right. Uh, well, not even right, but I, I just mean not as far left. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not Joe Brand, because Joe Brand's my senator. But Cory Booker, I you know a lot of progressives do not like Cory Booker. I mean, because I think the young on the Young Turks, they constantly bash Cory Booker. I think Kyle Kaluski, the guy from Secular Talk, has like constantly bashed Cory Booker because Cory Booker, I think when he was mayor of uh, Newark, New Jersey, he had some policy positions that were more libertarian than they were democratic or progressive, and he was actually like pro charter schools and stuff. Oh, I see. Yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I. It's kind of like a pinch of right-wing politics, but um, I have to say that candidates who do that t tend to have broader appeal because yeah. they're not completely ideologically bound to one side or the other. And I, I think Americans like that. Uh, it, that was, uh, and I might be projecting here because that was one of the things that attracted me to Howard Dean before I became a Democrat. Uh, yeah. Was right-wing on... Uh, a couple of issues i can't remember i think one of them might have been gun rights similar to bernie actually yeah bernie uh, used to be pro gun rights yeah well he he still is uh he he was in the democratic primary explaining in a town hall why uh rural voters needed their gun rights yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's he's he, i don't know uh well that's interesting that's interesting because i think vermont because vermont is considered a progressive state i think they're more kind of to the right on gun rights because they have a both bernie sanders and howard dean were pro-gun rights and b the republican governor there phil scott he had um he had a very 
he he or he because he tried to do the centrist thing. He had very high approval ratings for like the first like year in office, mm-hmm. and he was like in the top ten most popular governors in the country, like constantly. Um. So, but then he um he went on to um sign i think he signed legislation into law like more tight like his first year in office he was asked about gun control and he said he was against it or he didn't think there needed to be any new gun restrictions and then the Mm -hmm. next year he said um he right after parkland he signed something into law he signed restrictive gun law like gun control into law and his approval ratings immediately dropped, like, significantly. And it was still above water. It wasn't like it was a below-water approval rating. It's still, it's still a decent approval rating, but it's, like, it's still not below water. But it's only three spots away from being in the top ten worst. But it is still above water, and he still does have – he is still popular amongst independents, which is why people think he'll get reelected this year. But still, I mean, it just kind of goes to show you how yeah. on that. And I think it's because I listen. I've been I've been to Vermont, and they have like like they have a lot of mountain ranges and and whatnot. So I think it's I think when they they have a lot of mountain ranges and a lot of outdoorsmen and a lot and, you know a lot of a lot of that culture. Um, mm-hmm. So I think even though they are progressive in nature, I still think they they care about things like hunting and and whatnot yeah correct yeah uh so just a couple of things there i mean the one is that you're reminding me of the abraham lincoln quote about pleasing all of the people some of the time or some of the people all of the time but not both yeah yeah (laughs) Um, that's a good example of that and then also the fact that he signed this legislation in response to a specific incident you know and and i think that speaks to a point about responsive government uh, you, you you have a belief, uh, things happen, your beliefs change. You know, I, I, I think that's okay. Uh, we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, in a lot of these political debates about out there, there's like these conspiratorial thinkings like false flags and whatever, because people are thinking, oh, reality is not reality. That They just want us to think that, so blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, no, it's actually happening. You know? <laughs> yeah. Here's these several events over course of several months and years that you know if if someone had been planning them my goodness um anyway it's i just don't like that part of our american politics because it it just gets off into these flights of fancy i think yeah so is there anything else going i think we kind of got off topic but getting back to the super delegates is there anything else you want to say about this story i i hey Hey, okay, so we're back. I saw what you said about the uh, Messenger app. So, um, anyways, so is there anything else you want to... Um, uh, this, is there anything else you want to say about um, uh, that incident? Or, or anything, or sorry, anything else you want to say about the superdelegates, that story? Yeah, just I, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays out. Uh, if if I were a journalist, I think I would have dug deeper on that story to to try to show readers how how it would play out. You know, because it would be nice to find out now before the actual election. Yeah, well, I read something somewhere that said that like the Democratic Party put something out in their platform that said that they didn't want. Um, or it said you had to be registered as a 
or you had to be serving as quote unquote serving as a Democrat to run. Which would that yeah. mean that Bernie couldn't run since he's serving? I mean, it doesn't officially say that. I mean, it could just be that you just have to be registered as a Democrat at the time you're running. But would that mean that you'd have to be serving as a Democrat? I don't know, because and, and if so, would that mean that people who aren't serving political office wouldn't be allowed to run on the Democratic line? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, but yeah, so that, that's going to be interesting to see. Anything else you want to add or? Uh, I, I hope we have a system where the best politician can win. <laughs> yeah. Um, so why don't we move on to the story, everybody, uh, sad news, probably the story everybody knows about. Uh, Senator John McCain, uh, Republican from Arizona, mm-hmm. is no longer with us. Uh, so on August 25th, uh, John McCain was pronounced dead uh, on the last episode I did with um, with uh, uh, Jack Bergeson, the can- the 16-year-old who ran for governor of Kansas as a Democrat. Um, we talked about how John McCain, he had been taken off, or he was ending his treatment, his cancer treatment, his brain cancer treatment, but... And uh, and how his his life was probably coming to an end. Only hours after we recorded that podcast, uh, it had been officially pronounced that he had uh, died. Um, se- uh, state Senator or former State Senator Kelly Ward, who was running in the pri- and we'll get to this the segment about uh, the primaries later on, but she was running in a primary to replace Jeff Flake in the United States Senate. Um, she primaried John McCain unsuccessfully in the 2016 Arizona Senate race, um, the Republican nomination. She uh, came under fire after she accused John McCain's family of uh, timing the story um at, uh, or timing the announcement of the story to hurt her campaign. Um, uh, Donald, the, I think the funeral services are, have been going on all week. Um, Donald, uh, Donald, both President Donald Trump and former Governor uh, Sarah Palin, Republican from Alaska, who was, of course, McCain's running mate in 2008, were both uh, notably uh, absent from the funeral, the fa- um, John McCain and his will asked that neither of them get invited to uh, any of the services. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, represented Trump uh, going to speak at McCain's memorial services instead. Um, uh, and uh, right now... Um, well, actually, I'll, 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 this this one part I'll, I'll leave for the next segment about the, the, the naming of the Russell Building. But what what are your thoughts on all, on all this? First of all, what, what are your thoughts? I certainly didn't agree with McCain on a lot of things, specifically foreign policy issues. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still sad that, you know, I, 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 I it's still sad because he was a war hero. Um, and it's, it's still very sad that, that he, he passed. What are your thoughts on, 
John McCain's passing. Well, you know, he, he could have uh, retired from the Senate and had a long and happy retirement. And I admire the fact that he stayed in uh, public service as long as he did. Um, yeah. Uh, people of his moral fiber and character are rare. <laughs> yeah. I just had, or I just read an article uh, from The Economist that praised him and his colleague, Senator Flake, as being, um, you know, examples of senators who hold the rule of law above uh, their own political persuasions. And I, I think that's an increasingly rare trait. Um, I, I think even that example of that woman accusing him of trying to hurt her chances, I mean, <laughs> that's the kind of, uh, I think, attitude you see out there now is people are just in it for themselves. Uh, they, they don't have this idea that you're serving something larger uh, and it, it, it's concerning for our future. Yeah. Um, it is very sad. Um, what now, what were your thoughts on, um, obviously it's not, we knew for a while that Donald Trump would not be invited. Um, and that kind of made sense because he denigrated McCain's service to our country. Uh, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on Sarah Palin not getting invited? That was very interesting to me because, you know, she, I mean, she would have been, his vice president had he won the presidency in 2008. So what were your thoughts on her not being invited? I I think Senator McCain recognized his mistake in nominating her. I I think he was pressured to do that by his advisors. Uh, And I I think he realized uh, as he saw what was happening to the party after that, uh, why he shouldn't have done that. (laughs) So it seems like a lot of his final days were, spent trying to undo that mistake. His last letter to the American people uh, was basically a repudiation of that kind of populist sentiment that people like Palin and Trump have been stoking. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I saw something from an advisor of John McCain's or somebody who worked for John McCain. If you're, I think you're referring to the quote where he allegedly said he regretted choosing Sarah Palin to be his running mate. Mm -hmm. According to his advisor, his advisor was trying – I saw him on CBS Sunday morning. He was saying, oh, no, 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 McCain didn't say he regretted Palin. He was just saying that he wished he had chosen uh, Joe Lieberman because for a while McCain wanted Joe Lieberman, who was the running mate of Al Gore. He was the senator from uh, uh, Connecticut. He was Al Gore's running mate in 2000 uh, – yeah, in 2000 – um, he became an independent and was caucusing with the Democrats at the time McCain was the nominee in 2008. Um, Joe Lieberman broke with his party on a lot of things and eventually endorsed McCain over Barack Obama, which a lot of Democrats gave him flack for. But McCain want, was, was good friends with Lieberman. He became good friends with Lieberman and wanted to make him his running mate. But the Republicans would not let that pass at all because mm. Lieberman had like like a 70, like I think like an 80 percent liberal voting record. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, uh, McCain uh, and also McCain was at the time was considered an establishment figure amongst grassroots Republicans. And he needed to get uh, all the populist Republicans on board. So eventually he went with Sarah Palin because Sarah Palin 
was very much like Trump before Trump. She had a very populist message. And the one thing she was able to do correctly was she was able to energize the grassroots Republicans who uh, eventually joined the Tea Party. Right. So I, I think that's precisely why McCain came to regret his decision. It, it set the party on the path toward becoming the party of Trump. Uh, it had been a minority faction, and this time it overran the party. And I, I don't think he ever wanted that to happen. I don't think anyone did. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed... Sorry, sorry, continue. There were continue. a lot of people in the middle of the country who wanted that to happen. I, I just think they're misguided. Yeah. I, 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 it just seems weird to me, though, because... They, they, I mean, I know she supported Trump, and maybe he regretted his decision, but you'd think that if they knew each other pretty well, you know, he would want to invite her regardless, and maybe you could say it was because... They didn't know each other very well. It was, it was a, like you said, it was a politically calculated decision, Yeah, he regrets that calculus. I think he wished he had gone with his, his conscience. Yeah, but you'd think that wouldn't, like, be a way, a reason for him to to do that which was just weird in my mind but i think maybe he no. did that because maybe there were some things on the campaign trail maybe he he didn't have a great relationship with her on the campaign trail no or maybe they they had a falling <laughs> out you remember the headlines from them like she was basically dissing him uh the the night they lost like she had no oh she no was speech. i didn't see that yeah, like her her concession speech, like she violated some tradition. I think she normally you're supposed to wait for the main candidate to speak, and I think she spoke before him or something like that. I can't. Oh. But it, it was just it didn't make him look good. And it, it it if we're being petty, maybe that was the reason he did invite her. But I I like to think it's because he's aware his uh, state like funeral would be full of symbolism, and he didn't want that kind of endorsement uh, at at his event. Yeah. I, I always kind of felt like he should have gone with Linda Lingle as his running mate in 2008 because, A, if he, if he needed a woman as his running mate, well, then that would solve that. B, she was like a big Israel foreign aid person, so that would kind of energize the populist movement without being overly toxic. Uh, and C, she was the the Republican governor of... Hawaii, the two-term governor of Hawaii, who won re-election, uh, it was a Republican who won re-election by a blowout and won every single county in a year where Republicans did horribly in other places. So I always thought that Linda Lingle would have been a stronger candidate, but yeah, um, but yeah, so that that's probably I think what you're saying is probably right, um, but. Uh, so, is there anything else you want to say about the the pa- Oh, and by the way, I'd like to point out John McCain's one hundred and six year old mother is still alive. Oh wow, God bless she her. Was, she was at the the, the funeral, um, uh, which is really fascinating. Well, I mean, it's amazing and yet heartbreaking at the same time because, on the one hand, I mean, you get to see your child live all eighty one years of his life. But on the other hand, it's still heartbreaking for any parent to have to see their child die before they do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, so, um, so is there anything else you want to say about this? I mean, this made a lot of the headlines this week. 
Yeah, and just uh, may he rest in peace, and and hopefully we can follow his example. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add, or is that it? Oh no, <laughs> I'm I'm good. He's all, all right. So why don't we move on to I guess not really another story, but another part of this story, and this is about um, the Russell Building. So in case you don't know, um, the Russell. Senate office building is where a lot of it houses a lot of uh, offices of many senators. Um, an official, I, I'm not going to go through the whole list because of all the senators there, but there are, but there are a lot of senators there that serve in the Russell building. Um, and John McCain was one of them. He served in the Russell building. Um, and, uh, uh, Jeff Flake, uh, who um, who is John McCain's colleague, served only a few doors down from John McCain in the Russell Building. Well, right now, um, Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York, um, the night John McCain died, he announced he would be introducing a bill to rename the Russell Building. Now, just a quick history lesson. The Russell Senate Office Building is named after uh, Senator uh, deceased Senator Richard Russell Jr. Now, Richard Russell Jr. was a governor-turned-senator from Georgia um, who served in the U.S. Senate uh, for almost 40 years, from 1933 up until his death in 1971, um, and he uh, he was also president pro temp of the U.S. Senate, um, and he was very well known in the Senate, but he was uh, very controversial because he was a huge uh, Southern opponent to the civil rights movement, and he actually, um, he off, he co-authored the Southern Manifesto with Strom Thurmond, who was the uh, Democrat-turned-Dixiecrat-turned-Republican senator from uh, South Carolina. Um, And he, uh, after uh, President Lyndon Johnson signed the 1964 Civil Rights Act into law, he ended up leading a Southern boycott uh, of the 1964 Democratic National Convention. So he is a very controversial figure amongst civil rights leaders. And Chuck Schumer introduced a bill to um, to rename the Russell Building the John McCain Senate Office Building um, in honor of John McCain. Um, and he even said that he, or I think there were even some plans to potentially, uh, replace a portrait of Russell, of Richard Russell Jr. That's in the building with a portrait of John McCain, uh, to commemorate him. Um, well, uh, some Republicans are for it. For example, Senator Flake, McCain's colleague, uh, was delighted by the idea and said he'd like to be the first Republican to co-sponsor the bill. However, many other Republicans, such as David Perdue from Georgia and Senate 
Majority Leader Mitch McConnell um, uh, uh, are opposing it, saying that, you know, they're kind of giving the same argument as to the Southern Statue uh, argument, uh, which is that, oh, you're erasing a part of history. And uh, I think it was either McConnell or Purdue. Purdue is current, is also a senator from Georgia. He said that McCain should be honored, but in a different way. Um, uh, so there's a lot of Republican opposition to it. But in spite of this, um, Google Maps has, if you go on Google Maps and look for that location, uh, at one point, I think, I don't know if it's been changed or not. I think it was changed. But at one point, if you went on Google Maps, the location for that building was listed on Google Maps as uh, McCain's uh, Senate office building instead of the Russell Senate office building. However, I believe it's been changed back on Google Maps to Russell Senate office building. So what are your thoughts on the proposal to uh, rename the Russell Senate office building the McCain Senate office building? Well, yeah, I I think it should be an obvious choice. Uh, the, the two opponents you named, uh, one is from that state, so he would have that reason to oppose it, but the other is the, the Republican Party's majority leader. And when it's that person who's saying the same thing, uh, that makes me think that the Southern strategy is still in effect, which is basically that the Republican Party is catering to the whims of uh, the the former racist voters of the Democratic Party, or I should say former voters of the Democratic Party who remain racist, the Dixiecrats who defected to the Republican Party. And uh, this is a, a way to cater to their sensibilities. Uh, and that, that's all that is. Okay. Uh, is there um, anything else you want to say about this? Uh, not Not really. Okay, so... Um, why don't we move on to the next story then? Uh, so this next story is, uh, about NAFTA. So Trump is saying that he is terminating NAFTA and that he is creating a new deal, uh, which I believe would include Mexico. However, Right now, he is threatening to leave Canada out of this new NAFTA deal. Oh, sorry. Let me turn off that ad. But yeah, so recently he's been, um, or that's what he's saying in an interview, is that he's terminating NAFTA. Um, uh, let me pull up the official article if I can. Um Yeah, so he says that he um, uh, he wants to eliminate NAFTA, and he says that he's uh, uh, creating a new deal with Mexico. He says, uh, this is what he says, they used to call it NAFTA. Uh, we're going to call it the United States-Mexico Trade Agreement. We'll get rid of the name NAFTA. Um, and this is going to be a new trade deal. 
But I guess right now he is Trump is threatening to leave out um uh uh Canada if they um and let me see if I can find an official tweet or an official quote. Uh apparently not on that page. Hold on, let me just see one more time. I'm going to go to CNBC. Hold on. Here's what the president said on Twitter. Quote, if we don't make a fair trade or a fair deal for the U.S. after decades of abuse, Canada will be out. What are your thoughts on this new trade deal and what are your thoughts on the potential exclusion of... Uh, so it's just a classic negotiating tactic by uh, Donald Trump. Uh, it's red meat for his uh, voters, his base. Um, practically, I'm not sure how much it will actually benefit American workers. I, I think the concession he extracted out of Mexico was that uh, any any cars built in Mexico would have to be 75% American-made instead of 63%. You know, which... <laughs> Okay, great. Uh, so the plants aren't coming back, like he's been saying. Um, so it's it's just a lot of hand waving and, and noise making, and that's his mo. Um, I don't know if it'll actually convince Canada to come to the table. Uh, I, I think the sticking point between the U.S. and Canada on trade relations has been Canada's milk tariffs. I think they charge something like three hundred percent on American milk, uh, and there's an article out there somewhere on the internet that explains why that exists. And I'm inclined to agree with Canada on keeping those. Um, if we're talking about restoring America to its former greatness, I, I don't think exporting our milk should be the highest priority. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that's all I have to say about that. So that, that's all you have to say about the issue? Uh, as far as I'm aware, the, those are the, the two big issues that he's made progress on are, are car parts and milk. All right. <laughs> why don't we move on then um so the next story is about trump's approval rating specifically his approval rating amongst the sorry amongst the two major parties so trump currently stands at just a 10 percent approval rating amongst democrats interesting because there were a lot of uh democrats that said uh that in 2016 that we're claiming, oh, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm going to vote for Donald Trump this November. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and I guess on the other hand, though, it looks like apparently about, uh, and I guess that maybe they aren't really Democrats. They're just like blue dogs or whatnot. But on the other hand, 90% of Republicans uh, approve of Donald Trump. Uh, again, a little odd considering there are supposedly a lot of people in the GOP that feel disenfranchised by Donald Trump. Um, mm-hmm. But in spite of all that, Donald Trump's, uh, in spite of his high approval ratings amongst Republicans, uh, Donald Trump's approval rating is amongst everybody, amongst the country is still very low and sits at just 41%. Um, To be fair towards the president, that is slightly higher than it was 
this time last year, but it is not great, especially for a president during the midterm uh, cycle year. And he was also claiming on Twitter that his approval rating was at 52%. That was actually his disapproval rating. Um, but anyways, what are your thoughts on, uh, on all this? So there's this, I think this might be a good time to talk about the populist strain that got Trump elected. Uh, and and the, I, I think, I, I, I hate to bash populism. I, I love people. <laughs> I, I love yeah. populism. It's okay. Uh, I'm a libertarian, so you can bash populism in front of me. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there are people listening who, who might, if they're still listening at this point. Yeah. Who might, uh, but it, so the, the thing about it is the, the, this issue of trade. And the idea that more things need to be made in America. Uh, the, the problem is that the way Trump is trying to incentivize that is through tariffs. And we know from history those don't work. No. We've already seen job losses. We've seen companies close. We've seen companies decide not to bring products to America. Uh, or I say companies, but really there is one prime example right now, which is Ford deciding not to bring uh, the Ford Focus Active to America, which was going to be its new hatchback. Um, so it, it, it's just tr- when you it, impose these tariffs, it actually hurts the economy. And I read somewhere that Trump is readying this 6 to $12 billion bailout package for farmers who have been impacted by his tariffs because the other countries we trade with have retaliated with their own tariffs hurting the market for American goods in the world. Uh, so I, I just hope that, you know, there's been this thing going around called Trump derangement syndrome. And I, I, I think the problem is actually people who support Trump are stuck in this bubble where they think that Trump's words become reality. And they don't. Uh, if you look at the practical consequences of his uh, policies and actions, they're just completely counterproductive. And I, I hope America becomes wise to that sooner than later. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about the issue? Uh, I, I think that's it in a nutshell. All right. Um, so then why don't we move on um, uh, to the next issue? Um, so um, the next issue is the issue of Brett Kavanaugh. So mm. Brett Kavanaugh, I believe if I'm not mistaken, his confirmation vote will be next week in the Senate. I could be wrong on that, but I believe it is. Um, but um, I, right now, um, I, you know, there's this big, first of all, people are questioning uh, our, Lisa Murkowski, the Republican from Alaska, uh, and Susan Collins, the Republican from Maine, are they going to vote for Kavanaugh? Because right now there's been a lot. We, you know, you and I talked about it in our Trump SCOTUS announcement uh, thing. But uh, right now, a lot of people have been questioning. You know, is is he going to overturn Roe v. Wade? Is this going to be bad for people that uh, are pro-choice? Uh, or for women that want to get abortions. Um, uh, and both Murkowski and Collins, they're both pro-choice. So that has led some to believe that they might 
uh, vote or they might vote against Kavanaugh. Although um, they have said rec- recently that they do, they haven't confirmed if they're going to vote for Kavanaugh or not. But they have said only right. They've talked about Kavanaugh a lot, and they've said only like really glowing things about him, which mm-hmm. kind of and and they've said that Trump made a great choice in choosing Kavanaugh, which kind of implies that he's going to they're going to vote for him. Um, but there's also been a question as to. Uh, and, and there was also a question if Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, would vote for him because uh, because he had concerns about Kavanaugh over the Fourth Amendment. Um, but he has said recently that he will bite the bullet and uh, go and he'll eventually side. He'll take one for the team and vote for Kavanaugh. So Rand Paul is already on board. So now it's just a matter of Murkowski and Collins. Um, And on the Democratic side, there's also been some speculation as to whether there could be some Democrats that actually vote for Kavanaugh. Um, Joe Donnelly, Joe Manchin, or Joe Donnelly's from Indiana, is a Democrat from Indiana. Uh, Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. And uh, Heidi Heitkamp, Democrat from North Dakota, both voted, or all three of them voted for uh, uh, all voted for uh, for Neil Gorsuch's confirmation. Um, and they're all in tough battles for re-election this year in states that Trump won by big margins. Um, so um, uh, right so some people think they might vote for Kavanaugh as well. Um, the other question is um, if, uh, even though he's not up this year, Doug Jones is still in a very, very blue state or in a very, very red state, a very ruby red state, Alabama. So there's a lot of speculation as to whether Doug Jones is going to vote for Brett Kavanaugh as well to try and, you know, please his constituents. Um, but right now, one person who's up in a Trump state is Sherrod Brown. Uh, He is another, he's in a state that Trump won by eight percentage points. He's in Ohio. He's a Democrat and he's up this year. um, And he is saying he will not vote for Brett Kavanaugh. He will vote against it. Um, He says in a statement, he said he was quote convinced uh, Kavanaugh, Judge Kavanaugh would side with special interests over the working people and threaten the rights of Ohioans. Uh, Special interests already uh, have armies of lobbyists and lawyers on their side. Working people need justices who will put their rights first, not justices who will side with insurance companies over cancer survivors, financial scammers over customers, or massive uh, corporations over American workers, Brown said. Um, now Brown originally was hesitant to meet with Kavanaugh, but he eventually did after being pressured by his Republican opponent, uh, Jim, uh, Ren- uh, Jim Renacy, who is a representative who is, uh, the Republican nominee to go up against Brown in the election this year. Um, so, uh, what are your thoughts, uh, on this? Well, first of all, what are your thoughts on Kavanaugh's chances of getting confirmed, and what are your thoughts on 
his uh, statement? Uh, well, the the statement sounded about right, uh, but I I think a, a part of the discussion I've heard that has come out since uh, he first got nominated that I think people should really be considering is Kavanaugh's views on presidential power itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's some speculation out there that this is why Trump chose this person uh, among the other qualified candidates he looked at, which is that it, he basically thinks that the president should be above the law. Yeah. Uh, has either ruled or stated, I can't remember which, that he thinks that the special prosecutor's office should not exist. <laughs> uh, so basically, uh, Trump is trying to get a buddy of his on the court to help let him off the hook if there is a, a disagreement, a legal disagreement that comes before the court. It's it's a court stacking scheme, basically, uh, or as close as we come to one in the modern age. Um, FDR, who was extremely politically popular at that time, uh, tried to use his power to get his nominees on the court, multiples of them, it should be noted. Yeah, many, yeah. And that, that ended up being opposed. Yeah. Because people saw it for the power grab that it was. Yeah. As pop- because of New Deal policies. He wanted to get more New Deal policies yes. approved. So he thought, oh, well, if I put more justices on the court, if I add more to the court, then I, then I can do that. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm hoping that in all this talk of like red and blue and and districts and vote counts and all that, uh, and I, I think this goes back a little bit to the McCain discussion as well, <laughs> is that you know there there's the politics of it, there's the calculation, and then there's the principle, uh, and I I hope that the the principle wins out in this one. Yeah, um, I uh, yeah I think you're right, and then also um, what was I gonna say? I feel like I was gonna say something. Okay, I can't remember what I was going to say. Never mind. Happens to me, too. I, have, I, I need to start taking notes during this discussion. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think are his chances? Do you think he's going to get confirmed, or do you think he's not going to get confirmed? I, I don't know. I, I don't practice the crystal ball version of politics. Uh, I, I just know what we have in front of us right now. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say about this issue? Uh, if if anyone out there is listening who's remotely connected to a politician, please have them do the right thing. Yeah. Um. I I my two senators are Joe Brandon and Schumer, so they won't be voting for him anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. But anyways, uh, anything else you want to add? Uh. No, that's that's the only thing I've really read about uh, Kavanaugh that that causes me concern about him. The politics. Uh, I, I guess I'm not talking a lot, a lot about the politics of it because I, I think that this issue is so much more important than that. Yeah. You still there? Yes. Okay. Just making sure. So uh, why don't we move on to uh, the next story about uh, which takes place in Kentucky. We got two stories about politicians in Kentucky, but I'll talk about the first one and then I'll talk about the next one later on in the episode. This first story is about uh, the incumbent governor, Matt Bevin. So, um, so Matt Bevin uh, has announced that he will be running for re-election. Um, like many, many episodes uh, ago, uh, I actually talked about how Andy Bashir, the attorney general of Kentucky, 
the Democratic Attorney General of Kentucky, was running for the Democratic nomination for governor next year. He's also the son of uh, Steve Bashir, who was who uh, formerly served as a governor of Kentucky, um, and he's going to be challenged. And but there was some question as to whether the incumbent Matt Bevin would run. He is a Republican. Uh, the reason there were some concerns as to whether he might run is because only one uh, gov- only one Republican in the state of Kentucky has uh, chosen to run for re-election. Uh, only one Republican governor of Kentucky has r- ever run for re-election, and that was Ernie Fletcher back in 2007, but he ended up losing uh, the election to Steve Bashir, Andy Bashir's father. Uh, however, uh, Matt Bevin is now going to become the second Republican governor of Kentucky in history to run for re-election, or at least attempt to. Uh, he said in uh, in a gathering of supporters, he to- uh, somebody asked if he would be running for re-election, and he said in a quote, you bet I'm running again. Uh, so that pretty much confirms it. Um However, he did. He was also asked as to whether Lieutenant Governor Janine Hampton, Janine Hampton, uh, is well known because she is currently the only African American, uh, the only female African American Republican Lieutenant Governor in the country. There were some uh, questions as to whether she would return on the ticket with Matt Bevin, but Matt Bevin would not say. He kind of avoided questions about it. Um. Um. Uh, but he did say in uh, two reporters, he said, quote, the reality is there is a lot of work yet to do and to not continue keeping the foot on the gas would be, frankly, the wrong thing to do for the state. It would be the wrong thing to do uh, for those who um, who had worked so hard. The wrong thing for our existing legislature, uh, Steve B- or Andy or sorry, Matt Bevan uh if he is reelected, will obviously be the first Republican governor uh, of Kentucky to ever be reelected. Um, however, if uh, however uh, he's going to face, even though it is a Republican state, he uh, he might have some challenge, considering the fact that his approval ratings are low, and the fact and the status quo, the fact that there hasn't been any Republican governor of Kentucky ever reelected. Um, but he's still, but he still does have, uh, demographics on his side and the fact that Kentucky is a red state. So that might help him get reelected, but who knows? What are your thoughts on Matt Bevin getting into the race and running for reelection? That was an interesting statement on his part about uh, more work left to be done, um, I just found myself Googling Matt Bevan accomplishments because I, <laughs> I have no idea what he has done aside from dismantling uh, Obamacare in the state. Uh, that's the only thing I heard of him doing there. And some of the people who voted for him didn't know that's what they were voting for. Yeah. So that's why his approval rating is low. <laughs> they figured out, oh, okay, these benefits are going away if I vote Republican. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of teachers unions don't like him. He is one of those people that's like really he has a very strong stance against teachers unions. So if you're for if you're for that type of stuff, then you probably 
aren't going to like Matt Bevin. I heard he's also like – his administration was very big on trying to dismantle Planned Parenthood. Um, mm. There was even – there were even – I think they even reported that there was one Planned Parenthood in Kentucky that he successfully managed to shut down. Yeah, so just red meat social issues basically. Yeah. Um, well, he's more of a tea partier. He actually – he was originally a businessman before he was governor and he – became well-known when he, in 2014, actually tried to primary Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and he advertised himself as the anti-establishment right-wing populist Tea Party candidate uh, and kind of advertised, um, uh, what, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell as the establishment type. But, of course, Mitch McConnell had more name recognition at, as of that time so Mitch McConnell won the nomination again, but he did he did put up a fight. He did put up a fight, and he did make headlines. Uh, that big challenger to the establishment guy. Yeah, no, that explains a lot. Uh, if he's part of the party strain of the of the party, um, yeah, I I don't have a lot to say to that. Just to wish Kentuckians the best and the. Hopefully they uh, evaluate whatever claims either politician is trying to make uh, critically. Um, yeah, so is there anything else you want to say about this? Uh, no, I don't have anything else informed to say. <laughs> okay. <it> <laughs> All right. Well, then um, I think it's time for the next segment. Uh, election talk. So this is essentially where we talk about all the, uh, a lot of the midterm news from this week, specifically midterm news regarding the primaries. So there were primaries in two major swing states, um, uh, Arizona and Florida. So in the state of Arizona, where uh, John McCain just passed, but this was, of course, his home state. Um, they're not going to, I forgot to mention this, uh, Doug Ducey, the governor there, the Republican governor there, uh, has said he will not announce McCain's appointment until after McCain's burial. Um, and, uh, the leading rumor right now is that he will appoint McCain's wife, Cindy, to that seat, but that's, there's no confirmation of that as of yet. Um, but, um, he, um, but yeah, so but there's that rumor going around. Um, uh, but um, and also there will be no special election for McCain's seat this year because if if they want to have special elections this year, the cutoff date is May 30th. So if somebody dies or resigns um, before May 30th, they can't have a special election that year. So McCain, so they'll there there won't be any Senate election for McCain's seat this year. It won't. Uh, Bevin has or not Bevin, sorry, Ducey has decided to delay the race, the special election for McCain's seat until 2020, so that it will coincide with the presidential election. However, until then, um, we have a we do have a different uh, Senate uh, race this year in Arizona, and that is for Jeff Flake's seat. Jeff Flake is, of course, retiring 
after one, after just one term due to low approval numbers. Um, mm. So he is um, he's retiring. So in the Senate race there, there was a crowded primary uh, of Republicans. Specifically, there was Kelly Ward, Kelly Ward. Um, uh, was um, she was the lady who tried and accused McCain's family of announcing the one story <laughs> about McCain's death at the time it was to hurt her campaign. How uh, dare you! <laughs> yeah, that was her. Um, <laughs> she primaried McCain for that seat in 2016 and was unsuccessful. She's a former state senator. Um, she's tried to make herself out like she's a libertarian. She kind of did this thing where she's like, hey guys, I'm a libertarian, but I also support this populist president. And I also support his populist ideas. And I also support all his immigration policies, even though most of his immigration policies are a violation of civil liberties and are you know, a violation of the Fourth Amendment. But yeah, I'm a Trump supporter and a libertarian, guys. Um, but there was there was her. Oh, and, and to make matters worse, she's also uh, she also believes in chemtrail conspiracy theories. <laughs> oh, so it's, it's pretty much female Alex Jones. Yep. <laughs> so so there was her. There was also uh, everybody's totally not controversial sheriff Joe Arpaio. He was also running. Oh boy! Uh, yeah, um, and I read he was like eighty something. So you, uh, <laughs> I, I think at that age you shouldn't be running for Senate for the first time. Probably I think not. You should probably just go on a vacation or something. <laughs> yeah. Just retire somewhere, dude. Just, 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 just have fun in Florida or something. <laughs> where where nobody can hear about you again, but he was running. Um, ultimately, though, none of them got the nomination. Uh, instead, the winner was Martha McSally, who was probably the most civilized one of all of them. She's a congresswoman. Uh, she uh, is a former Air Force pilot. Uh, so she is decent in that regard. She did serve her country, you know, uh, so that's good. So they actually got somebody that was civilized, but the thing that people are trying to attack Martha McSally for now is the fact that back during the 2016 election, she pretty much bashed Trump and said she wouldn't, uh, endorse Trump because of that, cause she's in a very blue seat. She's mm. currently holding a very blue, a traditionally blue seat in the house. This was the seat that, um, what's her name? The Giffords lady. You remember the lady that got shot? The Gabrielle yes. Giffords, Gabrielle Giffords. Um, after she got shot and had to resign, she, Martha McSally won a special election. I believe a special election. Let me just double check that. I believe she won the special election to fill her seat. And she got good approval ratings, so she just kept getting reelected to that seat for a while. But now she's uh, retiring to run for the U.S. Senate. That's another her, the seat that she has there is another seat that might flip for the 
for the Democrats this year in the House. Let me just see how long she's been in. Yeah, and she served in the the Air Force from 1988 to 2010. But, um, okay, she didn't win a special election. She won in, uh, in an election in 2000 and... Um, she won in an election in 2014. And I guess she won there because it was a big year for Republicans, and Republicans did really well that year. And they got, at the time, what was pretty much a supermajority in the House. So um, that's part of the reason why she won there. Um, but now she's retiring after two terms. <laughs> to run for the U.S. Senate. Um, no ambition there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but again, people are bashing her because during the election, she bashed Trump. She was in a traditionally blue district, which didn't like Trump. But now she's saying Trump is her, quote, friend. <laughs> because she's like, and she's like, I voted with Trump on so many immigration policies. Oh, my gosh. I voted with the president so many times. And, of course, she's doing this because she has to appeal to her base. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, uh, but, yeah. Um, uh, but, so, but she did end up winning the nomination, which is probably good for Republicans because... I think if Ward or uh, or, or, or or Arpaio won the seat, I think the, the that seat would flip for the Democrats like that. Especially considering that's what consider one of the most contentious Senate races this year, and um, you know a lot of people have been talking about seats that could flip for in the Republicans' favor. That's a seat that very much could flipping the Democrats' favor. In fact, Politics Weekly currently lists that race as leaning blue. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's good that she won there. On the Democratic side of that race, there was um, uh, um, uh, Kirsten Cinema, who is the, uh, she's a congresswoman, she won pretty easily. There was one other lawyer named uh, Deborah Abdul, who was a justice Democrat, which is like the progressive Democrats. They don't accept corporate PAC money. Mm-hmm. She was hoping to um, perhaps win in that race. But um, uh, and if she did eventually win that seat, she would have been the first uh, Muslim American ever elected to the U.S. Senate. However, nobody really knew who she was. She had never held political office before. And very, and very much she didn't, she didn't win at all. So um, Martha McSally very, uh, won by a big margin because nobody really knew who she was. So Martha McSally, or sorry, Kirsten Cinema won because nobody really knew who she was. Uh, Kirsten Cinema is, again, she's a congresswoman right now. And if she wins that race, she will be the first uh, bisexual member of the United States Senate uh, and the second LGBT member of the U.S. Senate. The first one being Tammy Duckworth or not Tammy Duckworth, sorry, Tammy Baldwin, 
Democrat from Wisconsin. Um, so she won there. In the governor's race, this wasn't expected to be that contentious. Most pundits had this listed as likely Republican. Now most pundits uh, putting this race either as just lean Republican or tilt Republican or even in toss-up territory. The Arizona governor's race. Doug Ducey doesn't have the worst approval ratings, but they are not great, and they're only dropping. Um, and considering the shifting demographics in Arizona, many people think that he might have a chance of losing the seat. Um, he had primary, he's the incumbent Republican, he had primary challenge. Ken Bennett, the former Secretary of State of Arizona, luckily... He was able, luckily for him, he was able to easily dispatch Ken Bennett by a landslide. Um, in the Democratic primary, it was down to State Senator Joe Farley uh, and um, and uh, college professor uh, David Garcia, who ran for, I believe he ran for Arizona Superintendent of Public Instruction, and he was the nominee that year, but he didn't win. Um, he ended up winning the Democratic nomination for this seat. Um, right now, Garcia favored, or sorry, not Garcia, uh, Ducey favored, but not by much. Um, but that those are two really contentious races, uh, contentious Senate and contentious governor's race. We also have a contentious Senate and a contentious governor's race in the other state that they had primaries in, which was Florida. So Rick Scott, the incumbent governor, is uh, not able to run for re-election as governor due to term limits. So he is running. Um, he's running for Senate instead. Um, he easily won the Republican nomination as he was the only major candidate running. Um, and so it wasn't much of a surprise. Bill Nelson easily won the Democratic nomination. He is the incumbent Democratic senator hoping to get reelected to a fourth term. Um, Politics Weekly currently lists that race as tilt uh, Republican. That might actually be one of the best chances for Republicans to make a gain this November in the U.S. Senate. Um, Due to the fact that he is a considered a popular governor there, even though I know a lot of people that don't like him, he has very strong approval ratings there and his popularity has only been ticking up. So, uh, there's that. Um, but, uh, in terms of the governor's race to succeed governor Scott, um, that one's a little bit more interesting. So in the Republican primary, I was, I was rooting for Bob white because Bob white was the most libertarian candidate in that race. He was even the, uh, chair of the, Liberty Republicans in Florida, but he had virtually no choice of winning, even though he had the endorsement of Ron Paul. Um, but he uh, went down, uh, right? Really, it was between, um, hold on, it was between Ron DeSantis, a congressman who, uh, who was a big Trump fanboy. Uh, a really, really big Trump fanboy who released this really creepy ad where he um, where he talks about how much he loves Trump and 
his wife talks about how, oh, you know, he loves Trump, but he aside from that, he's such a great dad. He's so much more than just a Trump supporter. He's such a great dad. And then they show a clip of him in the ad playing with building blocks with his children, but he's using the building blocks. He's teaching his kids to use the building blocks to build the wall. Oh, and then he's, yeah. and then he says, he's teaching our daughter how to read. But then he's holding up a Trump campaign sign and teaching his daughter how to say, make America great again. And then he says, oh, they say he's all Trump, but he's so much more. And then it shows his his infant child wearing a make America great again onesie. Mm-hmm. So there was that ad a little bit creepy. I, I would if, if honestly, if I were Trump, I'd probably be a little I'd probably call Secret Service to make sure that this wasn't a creepy ex-lover or something. But uh, apparently Trump actually endorsed him, um, which he pretty much touted. And then there was Adam Putnam, who, in my opinion, was he was the only other candidate who had a chance. In my opinion, he was the lesser of two evils. Um, He was I think he was endorsed by the NRA. He ended up uh, he was a former congressman and is currently the Florida Agriculture uh, Commissioner. But he ended up going down by a significant margin to DeSantis. So DeSantis, the congressman and Trump fanboy, will be the Republican nominee for governor. On the Democratic side, there was, that was really where it got interesting. So first of all, the three Democrats, they had a very big crowded field a ginormous field of Democratic candidates. But there were three that people thought really had a chance. There was Philip Levine, the former mayor of Miami Beach, Florida. There was, what's, uh, what's her name? Oh, Gwen Graham, who is a con- who is a former congresswoman who came from a political dynasty because her father, Bob Graham, was a former senator and governor from... Uh, Florida. Um, And finally, there was the underdog, Andrew Gilliam. He was the most progressive candidate in that race. Or I don't know if he was the most progressive candidate, because when I had Jack Bergeson on last week, he was saying that Andrew Gilliam wasn't as progressive as everybody said. He he was actually a chair for Hillary Clinton's campaign Mm -hmm. or was a delegate for, for Hillary Clinton's campaign and almost was on he was on the uh, the list to be her running mate yep. in 2016, but Bernie and, and he apparently has actually accepted a lot of corporate PAC money, but Hillary apparently or Bernie apparently went flew down and endorsed him, and he supports Medicare for all and abolishing ICE, um, but um, he is. Uh, Running for uh, he he was not doing very well in the polls. He actually was behind by a lot. So um, he uh, actually so what happened was he was actually pulling fourth in all the polls. Um, but uh, on election day, he narrowly took down Gwen Graham, and will now be the nominee for governor of Florida. So that was a huge upset, but now, um, now it's really a big contentious race. If Gilliam wins, he'll be the first African-American governor of 
Florida and the first Democratic governor since the 1990s. Um, uh, and he'll also, um, but right now, because you'd think that there'd be moderates running because, you know, this is Florida. It's a purple state. But no, you got one guy who's who's the, the Trump fanboy, the ultimate Trump fanboy, who's the Republican. And then you've got Gilliam, who's a really, really to the left type of guy. So now it could really go either way. So that's really it's in one of the most toss up uh, categories. Politics Weekly previously uh, gave this rating as a tilt Democrat rating. Um, however, uh, this was before. Gilliam got the nomination before there was any sign that Gilliam could get the nomination. Most of us assumed that Glenn Graham or Philip Levine could get the nomination because, and they could do really well with a lot of suburban voters, which is why I had it leaning as tilt democratic, but now it could, it could really go either way. Um, and then finally there was a runoff in Oklahoma uh, right this year. Oklahoma has a contentious governor's race um, there are no Senate races. There are some House races, most of which aren't expected to be competitive. But there was a contentious governor's race because here's the thing you got to remember. Oklahoma is one of the most Republican states in the country. Donald Trump, won, this is the only state where Donald Trump, or no, this is one of only two states, this in West Virginia, uh, where Donald Trump won every single county in the state. He carried every single county in Oklahoma. And there are a lot of counties in Oklahoma, but Oklahoma had a Democratic governor named Brad Henry from 2003 to 2011, who was very popular there. And the incumbent Republican governor who's stepping down due to term limits, Mary Fallon, has very low approval ratings. In fact, a new poll showed she is currently the most unpopular governor in the country. (laughs) So because of that. Democrats think they might have a chance. Now, ultimately, due to partisan politics, most people think the Republicans are going to stick this one out in the end and win. Um, now, they had the primaries, I think, about a month or two ago. Um, and on the Democratic side, Drew Edmondson, the former attorney general of Oklahoma, who was uh, actually succeeded by Scott Pruitt, who when he was still attorney general. Uh, but yeah, back at that time, he was the uh, he, Drew Edmondson, he got the nomination for the Democrats. Um, it still wasn't known who the Republican nominee would be because uh, some people thought that Todd Lamb, the, uh, the lieutenant governor there, would easily win because he was lieutenant governor. But as Mary Fallon's approval ratings continued to drop, it became apparent that he might not even be the nominee. Well, on, a, on primary day a couple months ago, he didn't even come in second because the way runoffs work is if two candidates don't reach the 50% mark, they have to have a runoff, but, it, but it's between the top two candidates. Well, uh, he didn't even make it into the top two candidates. Uh, instead, the top two that are going to go into a runoff uh, were Kevin Stitt, a businessman who had never held political office before but was a businessman with a lot of money. And then also um, Mike Cornett, so, uh, who is the former mayor of Oklahoma City. He originally came in first on election day, but didn't get 50% of the vote. Well, in an upset on Tuesday, 
when they had the runoff, uh, Cornett was actually defeated by Kevin Stitt, the businessman who had never held political office before. So here's my question to you. First of all, we've seen a lot of businessmen uh, like Fred Hubel in Iowa, um, Bill Lee in Tennessee. Um, I think there was one other. I'm trying to think of who it was. But like Bill, Bill Lee, for example, he um, he actually took down a congresswoman who had a big leadership role in the, the House for the Republicans, who was endorsed by Mike Pence for governor. He took her down. He took down the Speaker of the Tennessee House of Representatives. He took down um, a statewide elected official. He took all of them down. He was just a businessman that nobody had ever known of. Oh, and then um, Bob uh, Stefanowski in Connecticut a couple weeks ago, also a businessman, took down the Republican who had the endorsement of the Connecticut Republican Party, who was the mayor there, who was the mayor of Danbury. So do you think that this might be an anti- so mainly it's Republicans, but there was also, again, Fred Hubel, who who was a businessman, never held political office before, in Iowa, who's a Democrat who won the Democratic nomination for governor. Do you think that all these businessmen, non-politicians getting the um, getting the nomination for governor, do you think it might be a sign of an anti-establishment wave? And what are your thoughts on the other primaries in Arizona and Florida? <laughs> so it's a, a lot to respond to. Um... I, I think in terms of businessmen running for office, I, I think there's this perception that because you knew how to organize something in terms of profit, that you can do the same for government. Um, yeah. Been around for a while. And I, I think the best uh, disproof of that assertion we have so far is our current president. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, to be fair, he wasn't a very good businessman either. So there's yeah. that. Um, but anyway. I I do think there is a very strong anti-establishment trend in our politics. And I I think it goes back to part of the thing I was saying on trade earlier, uh, which is that we we have this wonderful goose that lays golden eggs, which is modern American capitalism. But then we also have the fact that most people are not seeing a lot of that gold. They've actually seen less gold in a lot of cases. Um, So they, they are hungry for change. They want a different path. And I, I think that's why you've seen democratic socialism start to enter the mainstream as, as partially as a reaction to Trump. Um, and then, yeah, on the, on the right, you have uh, adherence to Trump and, and his values. Uh, so it's basically socialism versus, versus fascism. And I, I do think that because those two ideals are coming back into style, <laughs> it's just a reflection of how much our economy is not serving the average person anymore. Uh, and mm. that wasn't always the case. Uh, there was a, an old expression, a rising tide lifts all, bo- all boats. Uh, and that was true in the middle of the century. Uh, and at that time, we had tax rates on the wealthy that were between 7 and 90% in terms of income, if you made over 250k or 500k, which I think is like 5 million in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of had a cap on capitalist ambition and greed. Uh, and that seemed to work pretty well for a while. I mean, we, we had a, a vast expansion of wealth. We had a vast expansion of the middle of the con- uh, middle class, uh, and, and people were making decent livings. Um, and they, these days, it's just harder to come by. You've had this growth in gig economy jobs, um, 
people stringing together incomes. If they work a part-time job, maybe they don't get benefits. Uh, so it, it's it's been kind of hard out there. I think that's why there's this call for Medicare for all is so that, you know, even if you uh, can't work three jobs or whatever, you know, at least you, you don't die from some mysterious illness. Um, yeah. But it, it's, there's just, something's got to give. And I, I hope it gives in the right direction. Um, and I, 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 I hate to say it, but I, I don't think the answer is more businessmen. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I understand. It's like, yeah, they can run something. Uh, and it, it's like, yeah, the, the, there's this theory that like, uh, yeah, you know, like George W. Bush was our MBA president, right? Um, yeah. Government's different. It's it's not a business. It shouldn't be. Um, yeah. There to, uh, per, it's it's supposed to be very stable. Number one, I think people kind of forget that about our government. It's supposed to always be there. It's supposed to be boring. It's supposed to be predictable. Um, and like, if, if you're doing anything else with it, it's like I don't necessarily think that's a good thing for the country or your state or wherever you happen to be um kansas is, is an example of uh republican trickle-down economics played out at the state level and it yeah. hasn't been going so well for them their their bond rating has been cut uh it's more expensive for them to borrow now uh they've had to cut education um they cut social services and it, it's Right. Yeah. And, and we had the, the, the one of the candidates who is a progressive. He Because in Kansas, they have no requirements to run for governor. So, like, literally you or I right now could run for governor of Kansas if it was if they hadn't already chosen the nominees. Um, so you can live in like a, like a five year old Japanese kid in or yeah, five year old in Japan could literally run for governor of Kansas. Be, <laughs> based on state law. So he was a 16 year old and living in Kansas who ran for governor of Kansas and uh, he was a progressive and he was saying that, um, and he, and he was talking a lot about that too and how Sam Brownback had the tax experiment, which led to all that. Mm. But uh, anyways, anything else you want to say on that? Uh, well, the, so I, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there, but I didn't say I had two thoughts. Uh, the, the second thought was about election security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had the polls saying one thing and we were expecting one thing to happen and then the opposite did. Uh, and, you know, granted, Americans love an underdog and, you know, polling methods aren't as reliable as they used to be because it's harder to reach people on cell phones than landlines. Uh, yeah. A couple of examples in, in American history of the polls just being wrong. Uh, but I... I still wonder, though, because we have no paper trail uh, if someone has gained access to our elections. Uh, granted, these machines are not Internet connected, as far as I'm aware. Um, so it's it might just be a conspiracy theory. Someone's toying with our elections. But I know that as long as we don't have a paper trail, we have literally no way to know if someone went in and did something. Yeah. Now, do you think going back to the businessman argument do you think that donald trump being a businessman having never held political office going from that to the presidency do you think that a lot of businessmen are inspired by that to to do that and think oh if he can do it i can do it too well i, I think donald trump inspires a lot of people to run for president in the sense that if he can make it who who can't you know <laughs> the bar is so low now it's like well hey uh I, I think i would make a better president than donald trump i'm considering presidential politics and i never did before. yeah that's a good point now i'm thinking about running for governor of kansas <laughs> there you go yeah so it's, it's like uh but but yeah i i, I think 
people always did look toward businessmen for having that kind of executive experience. I, I think where businessmen fall a little bit short sometimes or often even is that they're not well-rounded people. They're not curious about the world. They don't look beyond that thing that they're organizing. Yeah. And it, it, that's what I, I would look for in a businessman if I were voting for one. Yeah. Um, now, what were your thoughts on the Arizona primaries and the Florida primaries? So Arizona and Florida, I thought it was interesting you started with those because Arizona is my home state. Uh, ah. I, I had an internship in Florida once, and Florida is known for being quirky and weird. And Arizona, I think, has that in common. And it occurred to me, they're both very warm states. I think it's the temperature that gets to people. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. If you ever hear anything weird happening in Arizona and Florida, it's probably the heat. Now, Arizona has a dry heat, but it's a lot hotter than Florida. Uh, so it, it's I, also I was going to say in Arizona's case, I, I think you, you saw the primaries kind of take on uh, a result very similar to McCain's reputation. You know, it, it's. Uh, it, there, we had the moderates win in, in both primaries, basically. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it seems like Arizona voters are wanting someone who can stand in for McCain. Uh, and then in Florida, that was the one that had me wondering about the election security because it's like that, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, now, granted, the, the left is very organized and active now. The, Trump's victory has inspired a lot of left-leaning Democrats to try to do the same thing on their end. So maybe this is a result of that. But uh, watch those ballot boxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost wonder if, because it's, it's interesting, because I think in Arizona, it was mainly an establishment victory. Yeah. And with, uh, with Florida, it was almost the complete opposite. It was like a complete three, it was like a complete, you know, it was like the Republicans had their, far their trump candidates and the democrats had their democratic socialist candidates yep although bill nelson isn't really a democratic socialist but he was i mean he was the incumbent so of course he was gonna win but like it was andrew gilliam andrew gilliam i think is i think he's a member of the democratic socialists although he is he's yeah. a progressive but he is he has he does have ties with the establishment in some respects but he he is a uh, progressive. Uh, he is pro Medicare for all, and he was endorsed by Bernie. Well, so I, yeah, I think I like to think he he was a Hillary supporter who saw that this was the future of the party and decided to line up behind that. Um, yeah, I saw. I'm not sure if I'm imagining it, but I thought I saw a Justice Democrat sign at one of his rallies. Um, so I, I don't know if he's aligned with that movement specifically or not, but yeah, I, I think there's a recognition within the party that like, okay, there's a lot of energy behind this. Um, but granted, if, if he jumped from fourth place to first, uh, that just made me wonder. It's like, was that really the people saying they want this or was it something else? Yeah, maybe it was just it could it could have easily been the fact that it was just such a crowded primary. And perhaps there were two candidates, perhaps maybe Levine and um, uh, Graham, the two that the only other two that had a chance of winning the nomination, perhaps they split the vote. Uh, and maybe that might have led to that. That does that happens. Yeah, we need so that, that's another reform that we could benefit from. Maybe is ranked choice voting. Yeah. Um, so the yeah it, that that needs to happen. But and I think next week because they have a bunch of primaries on different days next week. But I think that's going to be the last primary next week. Those are going to be the last primaries until the election. Yeah. Unless you count 
well, Louisiana is going to be on election day, but what Louisiana does is they have their official primaries on election day, and then they have the general election later on. Oh, interesting. Unless they have a 50% margin, unless one candidate gets a 50% margin. Hmm. Which most don't, because typically they just have crowded like elections. Although this year, most of the, they only have house races in Louisiana. They don't have their governor's race. Their governor, their democratic governor, John Bell Edwards won't be up again until next year. And one of their senators, uh, the Republican, uh, Bill Cassidy won't be up until 2020. And that's the soonest, or that's the, that's the earliest, or that's the next, uh, Senate race that they're going to have, which is going to be in 2020. So they only have House races, and there aren't really any House races in Louisiana that are expected to be competitive this year. Hmm. So, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if all the House members ended up getting reelected on the first ballot. Hmm. But, um, but is there anything else you want to say about the, the primaries this week? Um, yeah, just... I... It was. I, I think the moderate results coming out in Arizona were was a nice surprise, and I think a testament to the influence John McCain had on that state. Yeah, yeah. So you want to move on, or? Yeah, sure. Okay. So the next uh, story is about White House Counsel Don McGahn. White House Counsel Don McGahn. He was very. He played a big role in helping to get. Uh, Neil Gorsuch confirmed to the Supreme Court, and now he's playing a big role in trying to get Brett Kavanaugh confirmed to the Supreme Court. So he was considered very helpful to Trump, but now he's saying he is going to resign after... Uh, Trump announced for him, but he he didn't say Trump did. Yeah, which is odd. I almost wonder if it's a a Rex Tillerson type of scenario (laughs) where Trump's like, Rex Tillerson is going to resign, and Rex Tillerson is just thinking, I am? It's government by Twitter. I, I saw the same thing happen to Mr. McCann. He, he found out by Twitter as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, I guess I just decided to resign, and I didn't even know it until now, because Trump oh. said it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so he's going to resign after the, Kavanaugh, after the confirmation of Brett Kav- Kavanaugh. What are your thoughts on that? Um. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a petty move by Trump because he found out that this guy was testifying against him in the Mueller investigation. Uh, yeah. Who expects absolute loyalty. Uh, he had his son tweet on Twitter, I hate disloyal people. Uh, so that it, it's a little bit like a crime family. <laughs> that yeah. sense. But it's it's, like, it's yeah. the godfather. It, yeah. Yeah. So what, once you fall out of his favor, that's it. Uh, and it, 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 I think that's what happened to Rex Tillerson, too, because he made that private comment about the, the president being a moron. Yeah, you know, Oops. Uh, it, it's. <laughs> it, I, I don't know how you keep a job in that administration without committing a crime, basically. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say on this? Uh, I, I think that covers it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, going back to the Florida governor's race, there was a statement that Ron DeSantis made, which has a lot of people scratching their ha- heads. So to be clear to everybody who doesn't know, Andrew Gilliam is African-American. And the reason I mention that is because this uh, plays a major the, – the comment Ron DeSantis made uh, has sparked a conversation about race. Now, let me pull up 
the official quote so that I'm not taking so that I can give DeSantis the benefit of the doubt um, so that I'm not, you know, uh, you know, taking him out of context. So you guys can decide for yourself, you know, whether what he said was egregious or not. Um, let me see. Let me try and pull, the, pull up the full quote. Quote. Here's what, here's the full quote. He says, we've got to work, quote, we've got to work hard to continue to make sure we continue Florida going on a right direction. Let's build on, uh, let's build off the success we've had on Governor Rick Scott, on Governor Rick Scott. Um, The last thing we need to do is monkey this up, trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge uh, tax increases uh, and bankrupting the state. Now, that's the full quote, so you guys can decide for yourself, you know, what, whether that was, whether he did anything wrong, he said anything wrong or not. But, um, uh, right now, the comment that's coming under controversy is the, is him saying he wanted to quote up, because people think that him saying monkey this up is referring to the fact that Gilliam is African-American. Yes, I, I think we need a new rule for Republicans that are anywhere near politics is just stop using primate comparisons. <laughs> like, yeah. the only time you can possibly use the word of a primate and it's maybe okay is like as a verb when you say someone is aping someone to mean imitate. Uh, but as far as nouns go, just stop. <laughs> it's not Do you thing. think you... Do you think it was like an oops, poor choice of words thing and that he didn't mean anything else or it was just a poor choice of words? Or do you think it was like actually like intended as like a dog whistle? Because right now, Gilliam is trying to say that it was a dog whistle. Well, so like in, in terms of choice of words, I mean, if you're being really fair to him, you could say maybe he meant <coughs> meant to say muck this up. Yeah. Monkey. Uh, you know, but we, we had a very similar incident uh I forget which state's Republican Party. She called uh, NFL players who were kneeling. She called them baboons. Uh, Oops. Times. Oops. Uh, and then there was Roseanne Barr. Exactly. So it keeps happening, and it's like, I, come on, guys, just stop it. Uh, Think of something else. <laughs> Think of like a cat. Okay. If you want to compare your opponents to cats, okay, fine, but don't. Don't don't find monkeys to no, no, call no more people prim- of color. It, it's like comparing things to Hitler. Just stop, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to say about this? Uh, no, no. It, it, I'm good. All right. So why don't we talk about the next? Okay. So I'm not going to complain about this for too much, but. Um... I am going to kind of complain about this. So uh, I was going to do a uh, a reaction to the Nixon versus Cuomo debate, 
Uh, Cynthia Nixon and Andrew Cuomo both running for governor. But uh, I even announced it on the last episode. But unfortunately, after I recorded it for 30 minutes with uh, my guest, who's my father, um, it deleted. Oh, no. So, uh, Anchor just mysteriously deleted it. So I don't know if that's Anchor's fault or if it was the computer's fault or what, but I'm not a tech genius. But if Anchor could look into that, if any people that work for Anchor are listening to this, if you ha- if you could get to whatever staff you have and maybe look into that to see if that's a glitch affecting multiple people on Anchor, I would appreciate that. Oh. Um, but anyways, getting into the debate itself. So Nick- Andrew Cuomo finally agreed to debate Cynthia Nixon, and it was a pretty hotly contested primary debate. Um, it was... Uh, there was a point where, like, both of them tried to call themselves liars. There was one point where uh, Andrew Cuomo said, because right now here in New York, one of the biggest issues was the fact that um, the MTAs uh, are, like, terrible. So if, you go, if you've ever been to New York City, they have the, the MTA system, which is, ha- like, a subway system and sort of a train system. And there are people in New York City uh, that don't even it's – a, it's a public transit. Mm-hmm. And there are people in New York City that don't even own cars because they just get on the subway. It's just easy to use. You just have to buy a, a card for not that much money for like $5, and you can use it all you want. You can just swipe the card, and then you can get on the train, and that can take you to work. So a lot of people in New York City, unless they live in like – Forest Hills or Long Island where it where it's not or mainly people in New York City that live in Manhattan don't don't own cars most of them don't even own houses because it's very Manhattan is a place with a lot of skyscrapers but most people specifically in Manhattan um don't own cars because they're like oh I have to get to work I'll just hop on the MTA train I'll just hop on the subway, but the MTA trains and tons and tons of people ride the MTA trains every day. And, uh, but recently the MTAs have had a lot, well, they've always had problems. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid and I was in, I was traveling in New York city and I got like super freaked out because there was like this bug, which was probably the size of Jeff Sessions head <laughs> that was like on my foot. And I remember freaking out because of that. Oh, man. It's let's just say it's, it's not the most sanitary place either. They, they have rats there. There have been, I've never seen rats there, but there have been a lot of, of sightings of rats um, on the MTA trains and the subway stations, you know, because it, there are a lot of rats that are housed there and I've never seen any, but there have apparently been people that have gone on the MTA trains and apparently there have actually been videos of rats actually making it onto the MTA trains while there have been many people on there. And they've got to get to work too. Yeah. They got to get to work too. (laughs) They're probably working harder than a lot of politicians in Washington, (laughs) but um, there there's that. There have also been, People that have there have been women who have been claimed to be 
raped and sexually assaulted on the MTA trains. Um, every time I, you know, if you've ever been on there, it always feels like you're, there's a major health hazard. You know, it's, it's very dirty, very blech. Now I still love the experience because I don't go, I, I, I live in the upstate areas of New York. So whenever you go to New York City, it's a very magical experience. So I, I kind of don't mind going on the MTAs because it's, a, again, it's a part of, it's, it's just a part of that New York, it's just a part of New York City. It's, it's part of what I associate New York City with whenever I go to New York City. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it's not the most sanitary. And Penn Station, if you've ever been to Penn Station, Penn Station, if you take if you ever take the train down to New York City, typically you arrive at Penn Station. Now, I love Penn Station, but pretty much anybody who doesn't live in New York does not like Penn Station because Penn Station is a very, very dirty, rundown station. And if you go to the other, I can't remember what the other name of the station was, the other station. But the other station there where you can look up and there's like a bunch of scenery, like of stars and whatnot. I think Jackie Kennedy saved that one station. Um, it was actually used in the in 2012's The Avengers in the scene where Hulk punches Thor. It was that station. And that's like a very luxurious, nice looking station. Yeah, but Penn friend. Station is like, it's just, ugh. <laughs> I mean, it probably looks like a, a college dorm room. It's not that bad, but yeah. It's, it's not that bad. And I always love Penn Station because, again, it's part of New York City and it's magical to me. And I think people who live in New York probably <laughs> probably are just accustomed to Penn Station, which is why we love Penn Station. But I, I've seen people that like come from California and other places down in New York City and and they get into Penn Station and they're like, "What is this place? This is disgusting." Well, if they're coming from California and they're disgusted by Penn Station, they must live in Orange County. Uh, yeah, <laughs> if you live <laughs> yeah. in California City, New York City is, is actually pretty clean by comparison. Yeah, but there's that. There's that. But Cynthia Nixon was pretty much during the debate. She was going hard on Cuomo for mainly the MTAs because of how unsanitary and how just disgusting the mtas are uh-huh. and cuomo was like well i'm the governor of new york state the city owns the transit yes except if you fact checked it that's not actually true the oh. state has actually owned the mta system since the 1960s and nixon pressed him on that huh. and he started going on about Oh, no, no, that's de Blasio's job, de Blasio being the mayor of New York City. And then Nick, Nixon stopped, started, you know, fact-checking him again. And then Cuomo says, can you stop interrupting me? And then Nixon says, can you stop lying? <laughs> right about that, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, oh, gosh. And so, essentially, uh, Cuomo, uh, there's this thing in New York called the, the Nixon effect which people have been calling because Cuomo was pretty much, he was sort of a centrist when he got into office, when uh, essentially got into office because in 2006, the attorney general um, turned governor um, was Elliot Spitzer and he won by a landslide in 2006. And um, he was popular for a while, but then this scandal came out that he was, he was, he was paying a prostitute 
um, to to do stuff which wasn't legal. And typically, I, I I don't care about that type of stuff because that's personal stuff. But the fact that he was governor led some people to believe that like any woman that was being paid to have sex with him could somehow get leverage from him because he was the governor and he had more powers, you know, over other people because it was, you know, it's that most highly, it's the biggest tax state in the country. Mm. So, um, he ended up having to resign and then his Lieutenant governor, David Patterson came into office and he was the first, uh, African American governor uh, of New York. And I think just the second, uh, legally blind governor in the country um, and he was he was doing an okay job but then he there was this New York Yankees scandal where I, I can't remember exactly what it was I think it was it might have been that he used taxpayer money to pay for Yankee tickets or something like that or to get better seats at a Yankee game um, and but he can't came under fire for that and then there were a bunch of other skeletons he had in his closet he wasn't egregiously bad he wasn't like he he, like most of the scandals weren't totally corrupt or they were corrupt but they weren't like they weren't like sexual assault charges or or as bad as they weren't they weren't the most corrupt but they were still pretty corrupt and it got to a point where patterson actually became the most at the time was the most unpopular governor in the country and so he didn't run for re-election in 2010. So instead, Andrew Cuomo, who is the attorney general and was the son of Mario Cuomo, um, he ran uh, and uh, and he ended up winning. But when he was running, he had a moderate platform and said that he said stuff like we can't tax our way out of New York. Well, then he had this huge tax hike. I mean, mm-hmm. um but he and, and he again, he was centrist on a lot of issues like on marijuana. Uh, he said at one point he legalized medical marijuana. But then when he was asked about recreational marijuana, he said, no, marijuana is a gateway drug and mm. we can't make it legal. Um, but now Nixon has kind of pushed him in more of a progressive direction because Nixon is more progressive mm-hmm. and he's afraid after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez some Joe Crowley that he's going to get stumped. So now he's acting more like a progressive. (laughs) So he's like, Oh, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, Oh gosh, Oh gosh. And so now he's been like talking more and more about Trump and pretty much ignoring like, you know, actual issues that actually affect people like, you know, the economy and and whatnot. And he, uh, he was like talking about, like he was asked in an interview, he said, what do you think? Cause he, what do you think the upstate people care about? And he said, Trump, they're worried about Trump. And it's like, I, I can say as somebody who lives in the upstate that that's actually not true. And although I live in Saratoga County, which is a more conservative county in New York, so that might be why, but that's not what the majority of people are talking about up here. Most people are talking about the economy and the fact that it that it's, pretty much impossible to start a small business in upstate New York. Mm. Um, um, But Cuomo, but there was that. Um, But then also he originally said he he didn't want to make recreational marijuana legal. Now he's saying because Cuomo's or Nixon's pushed him to do that, that he will 
he'll look into it. He'll look into it. So he's become more and more progressive on a lot of issues. Um, um, and Nixon kind of pressed him on that, and they called that the Nixon effect. So uh, Nixon's kind of pressed him on that. But one of the main things that – and they also talked about the Tappan Zee Bridge because the Tappan Zee Bridge, which also used to be – which was also called the Malcolm Wilson Bridge. Malcolm Wilson was the governor of New York. He, he was a Republican. He became governor after – Nelson Rockefeller resigned to become vice president to Gerald Ford. Cuomo just mysteriously out of the blue, just decided to name it after his father (laughs) and just rename it after his father. And that was controversial in that town because most people knew it as either the Malcolm Wilson bridge or the Tappan Zee bridge. And he just renamed it the, the, the Mario Cuomo bridge and people didn't like that. And he even said, he said, my father would hate this. My father would, would tell me he didn't want this to happen. Well, then why are you doing it? <laughs> but um, that came up. The Tab and Z Bridge came up. Uh, and uh, eventually, um, uh, but the main problem was that they weren't talking about upstate issues at all. I mean, it sounded like they were talking about running for mayor of New York City. So people... Pr- People mostly bashed both candidates for that. Mark Molinaro bashed both the Democrats for that. Mark Molinaro is the Republican nominee for governor. Howie Hawkins, who is the Green Party nominee for governor, bashed them for not talking about upstate issues. I think it just goes to show that most candidates in New York, most politicians, whether it be Republican or Democrat, have kind of just lost interest in the upstate areas they're just kind of like oh screw those guys upstate we we care about the new york city areas but did you see the debate and what were your thoughts on it um i did not see the debate i i generally don't follow state politics outside of uh california but i i did kind of listen to your notes and and search the internet (laughs) while we were talking yeah Um, and then yeah it's i I just from what i remember of cynthia nixon she is a former star of sex in the city if i have yes yes it's i mean good for her taking on governor cuomo if there are legitimate complaints it sounds like that exchange of who actually runs the new york city subway was kind of revealing um so if you know she's good at holding him accountable for that then great but it, it sounds to me like uh she might have a personal interest in the governor's office if if she is focusing excessively on new york city issues yeah Um, at at the same time uh new york city is like a huge voter base um and i I don't know how populous upstate new york is but yeah that that sounds like it's something that's been happening across the country is the cities get most of the attention and then the rural areas are kind of left to their own devices and yeah well, that's true, but there's also Albany. Like, Albany is, like, the capital of New York. I, like, I live right around Albany, okay. and that's that's a big city area, but nobody ever pays attention to that because it's not as big as New York. Like, even though it's the capital of New York, nobody – most times when you go to New York, you know, they – you don't care about – when you go to New York, you don't say, like – if you go to New York, you're probably if you're traveling from another state to New York, chances are you're probably traveling to New York City, not Albany. Yeah, um, unless like- it's for a business reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that might be why, but 
I mean, it just goes to show how, like, the politicians have just kind of lost interest in us in a, in a way because because uh, it used to be one of the best places to live back in, like, the 1800 or even, like, up until 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. New York, upstate New York was, like, a really great place to live. But most people aren't talking about upstate issues anymore, except for third party people. And I guess the Republican talks about it because he's from Dutchess County, but he he uh, he has no chance of winning. So, yeah, I mean, it it sounds kind of like what's happened in California. I mean, you have the example of Stockton, which is like now one of America's poorest cities that used to be. much more successful <laughs> yeah there, there's been kind of this hollowing out of middle america that's been going on um and i, I think it's because everyone's chasing economic opportunity in the in the larger cities um so yeah companies alike um but you know america is a big country and i i i do think that we should be giving more attention to uh the things that aren't the major urban areas <laughs> like, yeah. it's a big part of the country and a lot of people live there so yeah um I don't know how we go about fixing that, but anything else you want to say about this debate? Um, not, not really. No, I, I, I hope that some good substance comes out of it, but <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so why don't we move on then to the another New York debate that we had this week? And now I didn't watch all of this because I had to go watch the Power Rangers 25th anniversary special that night. <laughs> but um. Much more important and diplomatic, I know. But they uh, they had the New York Attorney General's race, uh, debate, and the reason why this is significant is because you may have heard remember or, uh, Eric Schneiderman. Eric Schneiderman was the Attorney General there, and he made national headlines when he had to resign because of uh, allegations that he was uh, he abused his uh, his ex girlfriend. And call because she was also I think she was um, of Indian descent. And when I say Indian, I don't mean like Native American. I mean, she was actually from India. Mm-hmm. And he uh, uh, reportedly, according to her, actually called her his, quote, brown slave. Um, so after those allegations came out, he had to resign or yeah, he had to resign so Barbara Underwood got appointed there and then later got confirmed by the New York State Legislature um, to hold that seat until the end of this year. However, she has said she will not run for a full term and will instead continue to be New York's solicitor general. So, um, but now, instead of her, uh, they, have a, they have a whole list of different Democrats that are running um, the Republican is, is Keith Wooford. He's the only candidate in the race. There was Joe Holland, who some people thought might have a chance of winning in the general election because he was pretty well known statewide. He was actually, the, his, his father was actually an ambassador under Richard Nixon, but he ended up not winning the nomination. He lost to the political outsider, Keith Wooford. Hmm. Um, but Keith Wooford is probably going to be the Republican um, the Democrat on the Democratic field, uh, there's a crowded race. There's, um, and it's not really clear who the front runner is. So there's Letitia Eve, who was a former staffer to Hillary Clinton, 
who I thought did pretty well during the debate, but most people don't believe she's going to be the nominee. Most people don't think she's going to be the nominee. Um, but there's her. There's also um, Tish James. Uh, Tish James is currently um, she's currently the New York City public advocate. Keep in mind that was the that position was previously held by Bill De Blasio when he ran for mayor of New York and successfully won. Um, but she's now the New York City public advocate. She won the not or she won the party's endorsement the New York City Democratic Party's endorsement. But right after the convention, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, uh, a member of Congress, um, actually uh, won uh, or actually got into the race. So since he's a member of Congress who got in after she won the endorsement, some people think that Sean Patrick Maloney might actually have a chance of winning for that reason because he, he's that high, that, that high profile he has a high-profile name recognition. He's also running for his seat. He's not retiring. He'll only announce he's retiring if he wins the Democratic nomination next Thursday. Um, but he won the Democratic nomination, or he—he's the front runner. Or no, he's not the front runner. But he's a member. He might be the front runner. We don't know. And then there's—you uh, may have heard of her, Zephyr Teachout. I'm not sure if you've heard of her. I have actually. She, yeah. She's well known because she's a progressive activist. She was a law professor. She uh, unsuccessfully challenged Governor Cuomo for the Democratic nomination four years ago and kind of paved the way for Cynthia Nixon. She also uh, unsuccessfully ran for Congress last year and lost to John Faso, uh, the Republican establishment candidate who is currently in, uh, there and he's, uh, and that was a seat in the Hudson river Valley. Uh, so that was an upstate seat. Um, it was held by Chris Gibson, who was a popular Republican. There who was a moderate and it ended up being won by John Faso. Um, well now she's running and some believe she might be the front runner because she got the endorsement of the New York times, which is huge in New York. And during the debate, everybody was attacking her. Every single person was attacking her over the other candidates. In fact, there was actually a point in the debate when um, they gave a candidate, they said to every candidate, they said, okay, every candidate has a chance to ask a question to another candidate. Um, and then that candidate has to uh, answer the question. And everybody aside from Zephyr Teachout gave their gave the opportunity took that opportunity to ask Zephyr teach out a question hmm. and it was obviously a challenging question but um they all went after her and they were attacking her for things like saying she wanted to repeal the safe act which is essentially this bill which tried to demonize gun owners in new york um but you know a lot of people who are pro-gun control um agreed with the bill and they were attacking her for saying that she wanted to repeal the safe act because she was running in a purplish district in the hudson river valley which was held by a republican um and um yeah so they attacked her for a lot of those things um 
So um, there was a lot of that, but then, um, but yes, yeah, so the ma- the attacks were mainly at her. I assume you haven't seen the debate, but what were your thoughts based on what I said? It's kind of a circus. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that last bit about uh, you know taking positions because you are trying to run in a certain district. I mean, that, that's democracy, right? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you're, you're trying to get the most votes, and you are uh, responding to those voters' needs. Uh, so I, I think the question is, well, why are you seeking power, and what do you hope to do with it? So I'd, I'd love to hear more discussions about issues in these debates. You know, what are your policy stances? I, I know that isn't necessarily what wins elections anymore, but that's why we're sending you to office. <laughs> At least I yeah. know. Um, so yeah, Zephyr Teachout, uh, I actually got to see her speak in Richmond when I was going to college uh, in Richmond, Virginia, and she was working for Howard Dean's presidential campaign. Uh, so ah. I, I think her progressive credentials are well established in that sense. Uh, I know things have gotten more liberal since then, so um, I don't know where she fits on that spectrum now. So I may actually go and, and look at that debate to see what, what's uh, been happening with her lately. Yeah. Um, and it should be noted that if any of the Democrats got elected, they'd all make history because, uh, if Zephyr Teachout won, she'd be the first female attorney general of New York. If, uh, Letitia Eve had a miracle and won the nomination and then won the election, she'd be the first, uh, African-American attorney general of New York and the first woman attorney general of New York. If Tish James won, she'd be the first African-American lieutenant uh, attorney general of New York and the first female governor of New York. Uh, And if Sean Patrick Maloney won, he'd be the first openly gay attorney general of New York. (laughs) And if the Republican Keith Wolford managed to pull off a miracle and win, he'd be the first African-American attorney general of New York. Well, good. I mean, history will be made no matter who wins. Yeah. Could be why they're going after each other so much on, on personal characteristics, I guess. Um, but yeah, yeah. A, attorney general, like I'm not even sure that's why, why I'm not sure why that's an elected office because your job is just to enforce the law, you know? <laughs> like, well, yeah. Well, in some boring. states it's not. In some states it's not. I know in Hawaii it's not. In Alaska it's not. Yeah. And in New Jersey it's not. In, in those states, oh, and New Hampshire, those are four states where the attorney general is an appointed position and not a an elected position. Yeah, I mean, that makes more sense to me. I, I, I grew up in Virginia and, and we elected our attorney general there. And I, I think as far as I remember, just being around state politics, it was just basically auditioning for the governor's office. Yeah, <laughs> but, what, what? but it's the same thing with secretary of state, although here in my state of New York, we don't elect secretary of state. Because in most states, the Secretary of State oversees the elections. Mm-hmm. You know, typically it's the Secretary of State's office that declares a, a statewide candidate the winner of an election. Um, and with that much power over the elections, you'd think that they'd have to appoint somebody. But no, most states outside of my state typically appoint or typically elect attorney generals. Yeah, that's, that's in and I think in your state, Arizona and Oregon and uh, and I think that's it. 
I could be wrong. In in at least those two states, the attorney general is second in line, or the secretary of state is second in line to become governor. Mm. If anything happens to the governor, God forbid. Okay. Yeah, so I, I guess it just depends on if you have a lieutenant governor or not. Yeah, I I, I, I do, and and there are even some states, believe it or not, that have elected lieutenant governors. Yeah, well, yeah, Virginia being one of them. Yeah, I think Virginia is the only state where they actually have lieutenant governor debates. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah. So, um, is there anything else you want to say about this debate? Uh, yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, let's get on to the next story. Uh. Which Trump has actually been receiving praise for from Chuck Schumer and a bunch of top Democrats, rare. Um, Trump actually deported an actual Nazi. Oh, and by, not, by deporting a Nazi, I don't mean like an alt-right bigot. It was worse than that. I mean, he actually deported an actual Nazi, who, an actual guy who was a Nazi guard. So, in Berlin, uh, which is, um, uh, or, or, in, or not in, or, yeah, he was from Berlin, but in a really diverse area uh, in, what happened was there was this, uh, the guy's name is uh, Jacou Palige, um, and he, apparently what happened was, he was a Nazi guard um in Germany and he tried to defend himself by the way by saying oh well I was a Nazi guard but I didn't kill any Jews or torture any Jews I just stood there and worked for the Nazis which he's trying to make it sound like he didn't do anything you know remotely bad but he still was affiliated with one of the most evil groups on the planet mm-hmm. um but he was he was Jakku Palige and that's his name and he um he what happened was he moved to what is now a very racially diverse corner of New York City uh and um he i think and he moved there in 1949 what happened was i think he was a teenager when he was a nazi guard and so he moved, he fled from germany so he wouldn't get caught or murdered or anything he fled to the United States in 1949, and he resided in, in New York City, um, and he stayed there for a number of years, like taking on a new persona. There's actually a movie out right now. I think it's called Project Finale or Operation Finale, which was about this this one infamous story of this one Nazi guy who actually escaped Germany, took on another life, and then. They figured out he was a Nazi, and this was based on a true story. And they took him to. Uh, what happened was they they deport like they they got him, and then they they weren't sure how they were going to get him on the plane since he was unconscious. So they just pretended he was drunk, and so they got him on the plane. And then they took him to Israel, the Jewish nation of Israel. <laughs> and what happened was everybody obviously hated him because you know that there's it's a big jewish population there it's a jewish state and they put him in this box 
and they all wore gloves because they didn't want to quote unquote touch the skin of evil and they put him on trial and then eventually he was sentenced to death and then they cremated him but then they 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 put his because they really despised him so much they put his ashes in the water and then there were still a few ashes left and they had to clean out all like even though there were just like a few ashes left they cleaned out all those ashes as well as well because they hated this guy so much and understandably so but this one other guy who fled to america after world war ii he came into the country illegally um what happened was he lied about his immigration papers um and the type of work he did he said he was a farmer but he actually wasn't but he'd still allowed him to get into the country in 1949 and he resided there for years he's now 95 years old um and he uh, is currently the only known surviving Nazi gu- uh, guard in the United States um, or residing in the United States. Um, and there was a very long vex. There's a long effort by the United States government to deport him. Um, what happened was in 1993, they finally discovered that he was a Nazi guard. He apparently admitted that he was a Nazi guard into that in 1993 and in 2004, the U.S. government was set to deport him because they, um, because they realized he had lied about his, his papers. They lied, you know, he had lied about in his about his immigration, you know, status. So he was essentially, you know, an illegal immigrant. Um, so they were going to try to deport him, but, um, um. But uh, they per- they apparently failed to persuade um, any um, – they couldn't – what happened was he was born in Poland, and uh, he was born in Poland, which is – but now it's the Ukraine, so the Ukraine wouldn't – apparently wouldn't uh, accept him, yeah. which is why it took 14 years – but um, finally, uh, uh, President uh, Trump, finally President Trump uh, uh, decided to deport him. Um, and uh, apparent, uh, because apparently, here's what happened. It says on, in this New York Times article, it says on Tuesday, the White House announced Trump had secured Mr. Polish's deport, uh, de- deportation Dispatching, um, immigra- uh, uh, dispatching immigration authorities to apprehend him and wheel him on a stretcher from his home in Queens to be taken <laughs> to be taken. Oh, sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh no, I was just laughing uh, at the stretcher part because uh, I, I I think that's a good symbol of this administration's care for the elderly. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. But he's um, uh, a stretcher from his home in Queens to be taken by his air ambulance to Dusseldorf Dusseldorf I think that's how you pronounce it Dusseldorf um, Mr. Palige who is frail uh, arrived at uh, Dusseldorf airport early Tuesday and was taken by a Red Cross a- ambulance to a nursing home in Munster in northern and northwestern Germany uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders said uh, in a quote she said 